0: Welcome to Way Family Church, you're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for Worship, the Word, and Fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. This we're going to continue our study of 1 Peter this morning. 1 um, Peter chapter 1, we're making progress now just a quick recap just a little bit of context first peter written by peter one of the original twelve disciples of jesus christ we learned a lot about him uh, a couple of weeks ago when we first started this chapter we opened up with a lot of context with a lot of definition for what he opened with uh, he wrote this at approximately 64 a.d 64 to 67 a.d were bad years for christians because they were martyred and large I'm talking bad years. If you think you're having a bad year, these guys were having terrible years. We're talking about um, a a nation that is ruled by the Roman Empire, and this Roman Empire is using Christians to kind of blame them for everything. And so this is the time where they're martyred, um, a lot of them, in very different and brutal ways. In 64 AD, Rome had caught on fire. Um, and Nero blamed the Christians for the fire. I'm sure that you've heard this before. Some historians suggest that Nero actually was the one who started the fire because he wanted to refurbish Rome. But the Roman Senate did not allow the finances for that, and so he kind of conspired this you know, destruction of Rome so that he can then rebuild it at, to his liking. Uh, Nero was a very uh, narcissistic kind of person. All right, And um, I don't know if you know this, but Nero, being Caesar, Caesar being the king of Rome, was not just considered king, he was considered deity. And so most Romans consider their Caesar a deity, as a a god, okay, and so Christians wouldn't kneel to that. They would not uh, subside to that, and so therefore, they're the ones who got the blunt end of Nero's force, if that makes sense. And so, Rome catches on fire, and there's got to be someone to blame, and Nero says it's the Christian's fault. And so all that aside, this became a horrific time for Christians, specifically, specifically those within the Roman Empire. Peter himself would also be martyred around this time, and so would Paul. So just to give you a picture of the darkness that's going on at this time. Now, before Peter's martyred, he writes first and second Peter. We're going through first Peter right now. With the help of one of his scribes, We'll read, we'll, we'll read mention of him. His name is Sylvanus. So what that means is that Peter is dictating, and Sylvanus is writing. all right and so that 's uh, that's one of the things we see here i don't know if you've noticed how many of you guys have actually gone to read First Peter? Oh, nobody. okay. When you When you actually go and read first peter you 're going to realize uh, the liter- literary form that uh, Sylvanus took. So it was actually very artistic to try to write and run on sentence. The longer you can make your sentence, the more L- like, uh, what's the word for it, L- extravagant and luxurious this writing style was. And so w- when you read First Peter, you're going to see, like, that's a really long sentence, right? When we're in school, they teach us to break it down a little bit more so that we can, uh, we can comprehend the, 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 what, what the writer's saying a little bit clearer. But we see this, and this is part of Sylvanus's art form, right? Uh, and so Peter primarily, his primary purpose for writing this letter was to encourage these persecuted Christians, Remember, they're under heavy persecution. We can only imagine what they're dealing with because we're not going through the similar type of persecution that these folks are going through. And so his form of encouragement comes in two ways. One, he says, continue to stay strong. You have a faith that is secured. Your salvation is secured in the Lord Jesus Christ for his work is final and it is sufficient for your salvation. So stay strong. You have something to look forward to. And then two, live out your life for the glory of God. So how many of you guys have ever um, uh, encountered a situation that just shuts you down? You know, we've gone through life circumstances where, man, there's really nothing we know to do. And so the best thing we do in our minds is to do nothing. Sometimes we retreat into the quiet, into the loneliness, right? And it's kind of a vicious cycle because the more you retreat from life, the more you retreat from facing the giants, right? Uh, the the, the deeper you fall into this hole. And so sometimes we have the tendencies to do such things. And so Peter says, no, no, no. Keep living out your life for the glory of God. You have not just been saved from something, but you've been saved to something. You know, we've been saved to action. And so this is what his emphasis is. Continue to stay strong and live out your life for the glory of God, despite the fact that there are sufferings and trials and persecutions in this life, because that's a guarantee. As long as we live in this flesh, as long as we live in this world, it's going to be hard. I mean, I can, I can probably say uh, with all confidence that we're all going through something difficult right now, aren't we? Yeah? And so this is very relevant for us. So even though we're not persecuted in those regards, like the early Christians were in this time, we're still going through our own share of trials. We're still being persecuted, not in the flesh so much as we are spiritually, okay? Okay? And so there's so much out there that is trying to convince us to just give up. Peter says, stay strong, live out your life for the glory of God. Now we're going to continue in verse 13. And in verse 13, Peter shifts from expressing the promise of God for the elect to moving into um, action with our salvation at hand. So it's like, okay, now you know what your salvation means. I'm not just telling you so that you can have butterflies and feel good about yourself. There's a call to action that comes from here. And so from, from now on, First Peter gets very practical. Okay? And so the takeaways are gonna be a lot clearer. And so as I'm going through this, as you're going through this with me, see what the Lord's telling you, okay? What are your takeaways? Look for them. Because we're gonna see several things here that are a call to action, and this is what this section's all about. And so Peter now enters into this more practical. Uh, Since, as a result of our faith it starts with obedience so in order for us to be able to be practical practical to step into action it requires obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ okay and yet the grounding for all this is the gospel he always goes back to the gospel our bit our greatest source of encouragement our greatest source of life is the gospel It's the good news of Jesus Christ we'll talk about that a little bit more in here in a second and so as we look through first Peter we haven't got there yet we will see a few things, and I want to point those out. There's three particular things that I want to break it down as, as such. One is the commands. You're going to see a list of commands that Peter exhorts the congregation with. We're going to see a ransom, and then what remains forever. The commands, are ransom, and what remains forever. So as we read this, see if you can point those out. Peter's going to start with a list of commands, things for us to do, okay? And then he's going to remind us of our ransom, and then the thing that remains forever, because if we're going to be encouraged, if we're going to be called to action, we got to know at least the finish line, right? Every runner knows that there's a finish line. Every athlete knows that there's a prize ahead, and that's why we run, that's why we play, that's why we, uh, uh, we strain our bodies, right? We, we, I'm, I like to say torture our bodies, because when I work out, I feel like I'm torturing myself, but for the purpose of a goal in, in mind, right? And so it's important to, to know that. What is it that remains forever? What is it? Eternity is a very long time, folks, isn't it? So let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, from verse 13 through verse 25. Read along with me. It says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world. But he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to your to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since thank you you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we lift your name on high. We just come before you today, Lord Jesus, asking, Father, that you would open up our minds and hearts, Lord Jesus. And as your word says that you would help us prepare for action, it is evident that you have called us to it. And so Lord, help us understand this. Help us apply the word, Lord Father, that we would be doers, not just hearers, Lord. The word says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Raise us up, Lord Jesus, to be able to do and fulfill the calling of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. So this section marks the transition from the letter's introduction to the main body of First Peter. So the Pet Peter now begins exhorting the persecuted Christians. So it gets very practical. Did you notice that when we read that? Did you notice that there was a little bit more like, hey, this is what we ought to do? All right. So let's go through that. Let's look at the first thing. Uh, He he begins with a few commands, and I hope that you caught some of those. And those we'll see between verse 13 and 17. And so some of the commands he says, therefore, especially let me let me tell you something. When you see a therefore, you got to ask what that therefore is there for. Okay, you've heard that before. Now, we just got finished talking about the living hope, the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ. That means that um, nothing can take that from us. That's something that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is ahead for us. It's as alive as Jesus is. We have a living hope ahead of us. We have something to look forward to. We have something that we can just count on because of the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, okay, we're moving into that. He says, prepare your minds for action. That's the first thing is prepare your minds for action. Now, this is an idiom because when it's directly translated from the Greek, it says, gird up your loin, the loins of your mind. Think about that. Gird up the loins of your mind Our loins. Do we have loins in our mind and in our brains? Not necessarily, but this means something. It means prepare for action. There was an ancient practice of men. You know, well, you know how they used to wear long robes and they had a belt? Anytime they prepared for action, they would take, they called these robes the loins, right, of their garments, and they would tuck them into their belts. You know, like when we're about to go do something, like to roll our sleeves up when we're wearing long sleeves, right? I know that women, my wife's like, when she's about to get ready to do something, she'll put the bun up. You know, she's preparing herself for action. That's what we do. Now, I would personally like to play spike ball, and so do you. I don't go and play spike ball with my skinny jeans on. I prepare for action. I have to put my stretchy pants on so that I can be well-equipped to do what's coming, right? And so likewise, prepare for actions. Gird up your loins, the loins of the mind. And so this language wasn't foreign to them. In fact, we see this, and we see this language in the ancient texts like Jeremiah and Job. Let me show you an example. In Jeremiah, King James says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise. He's talking to Jeremiah, right? When Jeremiah is being called into the office of prophet, the Lord is preparing him. He's telling him pretty much in the ESV it reads, Dress yourself for work. Okay? We have been called to something, so prepare for it. Act like it. Don't just wait for it to happen. You stand up and take your fir- the first step forward. Uh, same thing in Job 38. When the Lord answers Job after Job's appeal for some type of explanation, you guys remember what happened to Job. Something terrible happened to Job, and Job didn't understand why. His wife even went to the extent of saying, hey, just rebuke the Lord and move on, right? But Job really wanted some kind of explanation, some kind of reason and answer, and so he asked the Lord, and the Lord answers him. And he says this, King James, gird up now thy loins like a man. ESV says, dress for action like a man, and I will answer you. And if you remember that portion, the end of Job chapter 38, ooh, the Lord's answer is pretty good. He answers in the form of a series of questions. Questions that make you feel like this, right? Compared to the majesty and the greatness of God. But you guys get the message, prepare for action. This is the first command. And I say command because this is the call to the Christian. Remember, we've been saved from the wages of sin, yes, but we've also been saved on to something, on to the expansion of the kingdom of God. So we're not just saved for us to be able to twiddle our thumbs, chill out, right, and just wait for a reservation in heaven. That's not it. We have been called to action, and that's the first thing that Peter says. Okay, you're being persecuted. Life is hard, no doubt about that. We acknowledge that. We know that. We're experiencing it. We're seeing it. Our brothers and sisters are suffering, okay? But we should not coward, we should prepare for action because our salvation is at hand. It's still there. We will see Jesus face to face. What are we waiting for? Right? We have literally nothing to lose and everything to gain, is what Peter is saying. The next command that he says is to set your hope on grace. So let's keep reading. So, and then being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on Jesus. We are called to anticipate and live in anticipation of our salvation. Christ's resurrection is the basis for our hope. His final revelation will be complete in the deliverance when Jesus returns. So when Jesus returns, we're going to be delivered. Sin's going to be behind us. It's not going to be anything of a present anymore. And so that's what he's saying. Hey, look to the finish line. Set your hope on that prepare for action, and as you're moving forward, like an athlete, focus on the finish line. Focus on that hope, that living hope that you have that's through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to get you through here, okay? It's, it's the work of Christ that's going to uh, allow us to take each step forward because, trust me, and you, I probably don't have to tell you this, there are moments where we can't even move, right? We, free, we freeze from our distress, we freeze from our trial, but, but Peter's saying, guys. Set your hope on the things that are from above. The Lord will deliver us from this situation very soon. So look towards the finish line. And then he keeps going with this list of commands. Then he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What does that even mean? Let's read. And so as obedient children, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Former ignorance means without knowledge of God. So do not be conformed with who you were before you had any knowledge of God, before you knew God. Now, aren't we different? Aren't we different now than we used to be? I'll tell you one thing, I'm not the same guy before I had the knowledge of God that I am today. I was very different. In fact, when I tell my, my children some of the stories of the things that I've done and been through, they can't even believe it. It's like, why? you wouldn't do such a thing, right? but that's because we're being sanctified each and every day, right? We're looking for the things that are ahead in the future. That's not being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Do not be content in living like you used to before you were saved. Jesus saved you from the punishment that was due to you for all the unethical behavior that we used to do, all right? So don't go back to it. See, Peter knows what he's talking about. Remember, Jesus said, Peter, follow me. Peter, son of Jonah, follow me, right? And then, after he's crucified and after he's buried and he's resurrected, what does Peter do after being called out of what his occupation was? He goes back to it. All right, he goes back to a form of his former ignorance. He was called into the ministry. And there, there Jesus finds him back in the boat doing his same old thing, right? It's like, hey. And then that's when we see Jesus jump off, right, and try to meet, uh, uh, that's when we see Peter jump off to try to meet Jesus. But he knows what he's saying. He knows how easy it is to go back to the routines of life, right? We've developed habits. There's no doubt about that. And so when you break a habit, you kind of have to substitute it with something else. The scripture says, put off the old man and put on right the, the, the new things that the Lord has for us. And so that's what Peter's saying. Okay, so get ready for action. Set your hope on the finish line, which is the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so what what does that actually mean, the passions of our former ignorance? Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people who were in the Roman provinces provinces of, of, of this ancient world, right? And so some of them had Jewish background, but some of them didn't. They had Roman Greco backgrounds. And if you know anything about Roman Greco backgrounds, they had very regular practices that was normal for them that were just absolutely disgusting, to say the least, okay? And so what Peter's doing is, do not be conformed to that. Don't go back to that life, because you've been called to something, and we'll get into that. In fact, he says you've been called to holiness. We'll get into that in a second here. So what does this mean? What, is, what are these passions? Fast forward to chapter 4, if you want to do that in your Bibles. Otherwise, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Peter gives a short list of some of these human passions. More specific to these people, but I'll tell you what. We probably will relate to some of these, so watch out. He says, do not conform to living sensually. Okay. Sometimes we think, well, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't live sensually. Well, trust me, you got to really understand what that word means. Sometimes we do it by the way we dress, by the way we behave around other people, by the way we present ourselves, and even by the things that we watch and imitate. Okay. So we have to be very careful with how we carry ourselves how we present ourselves. He says, don't do that. Don't live sensually. Careful with those passions. What does that mean? It's specifically um, evil desires. Those evil desires that come to heart sometimes, like loathing, like vengeance, like greed. You know when you're unhappy with something, you just kind of burn up, and you feel passionate about whatever it is that's going on, whether it be in traffic. Sometimes people make you feel a certain way. Peter says, hey, watch out That, watch out for that. Put that behind you. That's your former ignorance, okay? Drunkenness is another thing, and this is More than just drinking, this is under being under the influence of anything, because when you're under the influence of something that you've surrendered control, you've surrendered self-control, right? And so Peter says, hey, put that behind you. It's not good to be in that situation where you're no longer sober. He says to be sober minded uh, earlier here, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Put all these things behind you. Now to the audience that he's speaking to, this is very relevant, all right? and this is actually very relevant to us today, especially if we take a look back and consider our world. This is very normal here in this world, isn't it? The stuff. And so he says, put that behind you. Why? Because we've been ransomed. And so the next thing that we look into is the, the, the command to be holy. Let's keep reading. And it says, put behind the former ignorance, but he who called you is holy, so you also be holy be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter is referencing a passage in Leviticus. It's actually Leviticus 19.2. Okay, in Leviticus 19.2, the Lord is laying down the law for his people. And the reason why he lays the law down is because he is a holy God. And if we are or if his people are going to abide with the Lord, and if the Lord's going to abide with his people, they had to be holy, too, for a holy God does not blend with sin. Do you see that? And so the Lord calls them to be holy because he is holy and he's going to tabernacle with them. And so Peter references this because this is essentially what he does. We become that tabernacle or he tabernacles with us now that we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we ought to be holy. What does that mean? Well, what is holiness? Holiness means to be set apart. You've heard that definition, but there's two two things here. You can be positionally holy and you can be practically holy. What does it mean to be positionally holy? That means that the moment that you were saved, the moment that you were redeemed from the grasp of sin and death, right? You were set apart for God's glory. You are now positionally holy, instant, okay? So that's great. You are no longer who used to be. You are born again, hence the word, right? You are now positionally holy, you have been set apart. But practically holy, do I need to explain that? It is a behavior, it's, it's behaving in such a way that you are different from the world, therefore you are set apart. And so what we have here is a call to be practically holy, to live in a way that is distinct from those who do not know the Lord, who, who, from those who have no knowledge of Him and His commands. And so here's the command, be holy. Now when I hear this, when I read this, this is high level challenge for me because when I think of being holy sometimes, I think, man, that's impossible, right? I used to have a teacher that used to tell me, hey, you gotta practice so that you can be perfect. And our argument was always, well, no one's perfect, so why practice? And she used to say, well, no one's perfect because no one's practices. Okay, all right, I get you. You know, So it's just a constant effort. We call that sanctification. The Lord is doing things in our lives. He's helping us. He's growing us. He's setting us apart. And I love this description. And it's, you have to understand the need to be holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. If we want the Lord and the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, why are we living in such a way that really prevents Him from even being near to us because of our sin? You know what I mean? And, and here's the thing, though. Being holy doesn't mean that uh, or not being holy it doesn't mean that the Lord's going to reject you and say, hey, boom, there's no way that this is my son and daughter, right? Because we all slip. We are constantly sinning, right? And, and, and salvation is something of the past, the present, and the future. We were saved, we are being saved, and we, be, we will be saved, right? And so it doesn't mean that the Lord will forsake us, for he will never forsake us, and that's a promise. But it's very, very so that we could Break our relationship with him or sever our relationship with the Lord and walk away from him. We can do that. That can happen. So just like a father can never say, "That is not my son," and it actually not happened. So even though I verbalize something, that's still my son, whether I like it or not, right? Same way. But we can sever our relationship in that there's no communication, right? And so likewise, that can happen. But when we live in a way that's righteous and holy, we're in relationship with the Lord. We're like this. Okay? And so that's the fourth thing that Peter says, Be holy. The fifth thing he says, conduct yourselves with fear. Let's keep reading. He says in 17, and you call him father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, each one's deeds. So the Lord impartially He's just. Being just means, ah, he'll do what he must do, and that is in love. That is a character of love. He says, Therefore, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. What does he mean by feared? Does that mean be afraid? No, no, no. He's not talking about the fear of man. He's talking about the fear of the Lord. He says, conduct yourself in reverence to the Lord is what he's saying. Because God the Father judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Okay? And so, as I mentioned, we could never, never be disowned by our Father. Right? If we are saved, we are saved indeed. Okay? but we can definitely lose relationship with him. And the Lord is just, you know, and sometimes we wonder what's going on. And here we are living recklessly and the Lord is calling us to holiness. So conduct yourselves with reverence to the Lord, okay? And then the next portion that we get into here is our ransom. And so these were the commands. Should we go through them? or Did you get those down? What was the first thing? Nobody got it? Prepare for action, okay? The second thing, set your hope on the finish line, on the grace of Jesus Christ. Third thing, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Fourth thing, be holy. The fifth thing is conduct yourselves with fear, with reference to the Lord, okay? So why? This is a ransom. Let's look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways as described earlier, we saw a list of those futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So first of all, we've been ransomed. What does that mean? What is a ransom? A ransom is a payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. Okay? Quick little story, true story. My parents are from Guatemala. If you guys know where that country is, a lot of people are like, I've heard that before right? Central America. Um, one time, I'm just hanging out at home, just being normal, and my mother gets a phone call and she says that somebody that she knows, 15-year-old girl, was kidnapped and that the ransom was $50,000. Wow, right? And if she had the kind of capital to help ransom the girl. Now, you think about that. You just think about that. If you know this 15-year-old girl, your heart breaks for her, doesn't it? You think about the fact that someone has kidnapped a loved one and the ransom's high, maybe too steep for us to even meet, right? That's heartbreaking. That's something that's devastating. Man, what if the ransom was a million dollars? What if the ransom was 500 million dollars? Something that was just unattainable, unreach, unreachable. What would we do? We would, we would break inside, wouldn't we? We would just cry out to the Lord and ask for help, you know? Now, we were, we were prisoners. In our sin, we were doomed to death and destruction. Romans says that the wages of sin is death, right? And so the, pre- the ransom was paid, and it was a high price, actually. And if you read here, Peter describes this as the precious blood of Christ. Precious. What is something precious? Something of high value, right? We were ransomed by that, through that, and it was good. Now think about this. Jesus being the Son of God, God himself, John once says in the beginning was the word was Christ and he was with God and he was what and he was God and through all and all things were made through him that had been made okay so what we see here is a very high value person this man truly is precious this man walked without sin without error this man taught the ways of the Lord this man was righteous before a holy God and that was the price that was the price that was paid. The precious blood of Christ is high value. It is not fifty thousand dollars. It is not a million dollars. It is without value. There is nothing. It is a one of a kind deal. When you have something one of a kind, what do you do? You protect it, right? You put it in a safe box. You make sure that no one gets to it. But Jesus gave it all, all away, right? He poured it all out all out for us, for our ransom. And so Paul or Peter wants us to understand this is, hey, you were bought with the price, okay? Don't worry about what's going to happen here because you've been ransomed. You're no longer a slave to that. You're no longer bound to that. You have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Precious indeed, would you not agree? And then he says this, like the lamb without blemish or spot. Now, if you were a Jew, you knew exactly what that meant. Because if you took a lamb to the temple for a sacrifice, and if it had a blemish, if it had a spot, man, anything, it would not be accepted, and then you could not atone. All right? And so Jesus fulfilled the requirement. That price was met through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 20. Look at this. And this plan, this ransom we're talking about, was foreknown before the foundations of the world. But he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So what he's saying in verse 20 is that this was always the plan. This wasn't something that they came up in the very last minute. Oh no, they're going down. What do we do? What do we do? Red alert, red alert. Have you ever seen... um, What's that movie with the little characters in your brain? Inside out or something like that? You know, where you got like the little guys controlling the brain and their like alarms are going off. And it's like, what do we do? What do we do? What are we going to do? Push the red button. OK, here it goes. What was it? The foot or something like that. That's not how God works. OK, he's already got it figured out. He was it was planned since the beginning of everything. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world. Look at what Isaiah says. He, he puts it down so Well, he actually quotes the Lord himself. He hears from the Lord in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things yet not done. So God knew from the very beginning that Adam would sin. God knew from the very beginning that Jesus Christ was going to be the ransom for our sin. God knew that there was going to be a way for us to be restored to relationship with him From the very beginning, this was no surprise to the Lord. This is who we trust. This is who we serve. And if we understand this, then we can be a little bit more obedient, right? It would be a little bit easier for us to step out in obedience, trusting that like a child trusts their parent. They're obedient to them because they trust them. We need to have that trust and that hope in the Lord. Amen? Okay. Now, he goes on. He says... and and 21, who through him are believers in Christ, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the Lord has purified our souls. This is what that means. The soul of a Christian is purified through the acceptance of God's truth as manifest in Jesus and rejecting their former ways of life. So what does that mean? That means that the more we read of the Lord, the more we read the word of God. And, and, and if we have an understanding of who God is, it's is easier for us to accept it. And if we're going to accept it, we're going to be changed by it. And we're talking about truth. All right. Truth is what sets us free. And that's a problem from the Lord. And so we're purified in that sense. We're refined like precious metals. Okay. And sometimes that requires going through some trial, doesn't it? But nevertheless, the Lord promises that we are purified and we need to cling to truth. And so here's the challenge that Peter gives is, hey, focus on truth. Yes, there's stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things going on. But this is it. This is your, your framework right here. This is what you're going to go back to. This is what you're going to buy it in. This is what you're going to launch from, okay? And this is the mission that you have in hand. And so be purified. Your souls be purified. And so now we go in to what remains forever. Okay, we're, we're, we're closing in here. You see, it's kind of heavy if you really think about this. If you really take this personal, it's like, wow, it makes you feel like you haven't really been doing much. Has it? Does it? And it does for me, at least. And so what's the final thing here? What remains forever? What is it that remains forever? Let's read here in 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's what remains forever. It says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel is what remains forever. The gospel is true now, and it'll always be true. The gospel is not something that um, is trendy, right? It's not something that's a fad for now, and it'll fade away tomorrow. No, this is it. This is what remains forever. And what Peter's saying is, remember that remember what Jesus did for us, because that lasts for eternity. Got it? It's ultimately what allows us to be holy, to love, and to prepare for action because of the gospel. If it weren't for the gospel, there'd be no reason for it, I would say. So what do we do with this? What are our takeaways? Hopefully you already have a list of takeaways. I'll give you just three. One, you have been called to action. Ask yourself, am I doing what I'm called to do? You have been called to action. Our salvation is entirely up to the Lord, yes. Okay? And yes, we've been saved from the wages of sin, but we've been saved to the work of the kingdom. We've been called to action. Gird up the loins of your minds. All right? And go. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command to action. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 this is what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep moving forward, keep fulfilling the calling that is upon you. You have been called to action. Got that? Next takeaway is be holy. It's a short one, but it's a deep one. Be holy. Not just positionally, but practically. All right, let's live our lives in a way that's very distinct, that it's set aside. Let me ask you this, and just think about this. Do your coworkers know that you are a believer of Jesus Christ? Do your, does your family see something different in you? Do your kids see that you have been set apart and that you live a holy and righteous life? This is just kind of a litmus test. Ask yourself, am I living in a way that is holy according to the standards of God? Do we need the Lord's help for this? Absolutely. We're all going to fall short, no doubt, but we strive for, what, for, for holiness, okay? That is the goal. We, just, we know the end game. We know the finish line, and that's the way we're going to live. We ought to be notably different from who we were. We ought to be notably different from those who do not have the knowledge of God. They do not know Jesus. Remember, God judges impartially, and as sons and daughters, we are, heard, we are held to a higher standard. You know, you know the, the, the rules that you have in your home? You know there's some rules that you have for your kids? We have a rule uh, for our dogs in our house. There's two areas you can get into the kitchen. The dogs are not allowed in the kitchen, and they know that thanks to the help of all the children, especially Joey, he's really stern on that. The dogs have learned that they shall not pass from there. The kitchen is out of bounds. So if you ever go to my house and you wanna get away from the dogs, get in the kitchen, okay? Just a little pointer. Now, we hold them to that standard, right? Because they have, as our dogs, they have been called to that rule of the house. But when we have guest dogs, what do those dogs do? They run into the kitchen. They sniff things up, right? Do we get angry at those dogs? No, right? Because they don't know the rule. Their standard's a little bit lower, right? And so likewise, the Lord calls us to a higher standard. We are his sons and daughters. We are of the household. And so we ought to live in a way that is holy. Do you understand that? Am I making sense? Okay, so now look at how Paul puts it in Philippians 3 12 through 14. He says, Not that I have already obtained this. He's talking about being holy, right? Not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. To take a hold of it is what he's saying. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. And here's the hint for us. This is is what's helpful for us. This is what he does. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. All right? Pursuing holiness is putting away the things of the past, the old man, and striving toward the new one, the things, the promises that the Lord has, that sanctification so that one day we'll be face to face with Jesus and we'll be in his glory. All right? That's what we strive for. That's what Paul... Is encouraging us to do got it be holy is that is that too hard to do guys is that too hard to ask right we're working on that all of us takeaway number three preach the gospel you're thinking okay what do you mean by that preach the gospel to others obviously what does that mean that doesn't mean you have to come up here and do what i'm doing not necessarily that means have gospel conversations with people all right tell people about your redemption about the ransom that you've experienced but don't just preach the gospel to others. Preach the gospel to yourself because when we're going through trial, when we're going through tribulation, we need to be able to encourage ourselves. We need to be reminded of the redemption that comes through the cross and the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is something that I'm still learning to do. Sometimes when I get down, man, I like to be down. I like to justify my anger. I like to justify my sense of depression or whatever it may be, right? This is, these are the times where we need to preach the gospel to ourselves we have to be reminded hey that's what grace is for i'm a terrible parent sometimes that's what grace is for i'm a terrible husband sometimes that's what grace is for i'm a terrible leader sometimes that's what grace is for right and we're continually growing and we're continually being forgiven for the things but we're still striving for what's ahead we're not settling right this is we're reaching the end goal. We're being called to actions. Press forward. Continue to encourage yourself by preaching the gospel, not just to others, but to yourself. Does that make sense? I'm hoping that this makes sense. So the grass withers and the flower falls, but the gospel never will. The gospel that we believe has no expiration date. That's why it's important to preach the gospel to ourselves. So this is the challenge. Just go. Go and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Encourage one another. Because this life sucks, doesn't it? It does. And so let's just remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we think of that and when we cling to those promises, then it's easy to smile and say, hey, there's something ahead. and It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, thank you for using your servant Peter to just bring a message that's very practical. We ask that you would help us do this, Lord. Help us continue to just uh, uh, think about these things, that we would not just read something once and forget about it, that we would really train ourselves up, that we would know this in a way that comes to mind constantly, that we could explain it to someone, that we could encourage others through this as well. And Lord, yes, this life is hard, there's a lot of trials. We trust in you and we are reminded that there's something beautiful ahead and we just ask, Father, that you help us stay in action, that you would help us rise, Father, as your word says, to gird up the loins of our minds, Lord Jesus, that we would not be bogged down, but that we would be doers, Father, of your word, and that we would be diligent in fulfilling the commission that you've called us to, is to go and make disciples of all nations. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.